It's an opportunity attack. Hail and welcome to this opportunity attack. I'm Dean Geiken and I'm adventuring a little solo today, but I managed to get an opportunity attack on none other than Az Drummond, the community and communications manager from Mythic Games. Welcome to the podcast, Az. Thank you very much, Dean. It's absolutely a real pleasure to be uh, speaking to the Grognards and, and to you as well again. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, and for a little background, we have spoken before at Gen Con, what was it, 2018, and um, you've been very busy. You've been in a <laughs> lot of video interviews. You've been attending mm. a lot of different uh, conventions and things related to gaming. And yeah. for our listeners out there who have never seen you on video or heard you in an interview, you're quite the energetic guy, and you, <laughs> you I, I think you have a real love for what you do, not just um, Thank you. the games, but I think you just have a passion about talking about these games because I think you really think that they're bringing an experience, an immersive experience that we're probably not seeing in a lot of new games that are out there. Yeah, thank you, first of all, so much for that, Dean. I won't lie, when I thought about coming on and chatting to you, I was like, they're not going to be able to see my hands, and I do half of my talking with my hands. What am I going to do? <laughs> because, yeah, I, I absolutely get a, a real kick and, and a buzz out of talking about the games that we do at Mythic, Mythic Games. It, it really thrills me to be able to present and share these with people because I, I genuinely believe, as a as an active board gamer for many, many a year, mm -hmm. um, some of the stuff we're doing is, is changing the way I think people will look at board games and is really... Um, they're complete packages. They're really experiences um, on the tabletop. And when I get, I get my most energy um, when I'm at conventions, when I'm at interviews, when I'm meeting with people who who want to know more and have questions and, and can share in that excitement. And I think that's such a lucky part about being involved in the communication and the, and the conversations around board games. It's an industry where um, passion is everywhere, you mm -hmm. know, with everybody you interact with. And um, whether it's, you know, uh, well, I was just at Gamma last week in Reno, whether it's business to business conversations or um, talking to, to gamers or talking to interviewers, um, it's always uh, something that you can easily get excited and energized about. I thankfully, I don't think to date have ever had to do a conversation or an interview or a podcast or anything like this where I felt the person I was um, on with didn't have an interest. You know, we all we all have a burning interest. So I'm, I'm really thankful to get to share that with everyone. And um, I think it's a, a real treat uh, to, to, to get to share that excitement with people, especially at Gen Con. Gen Con's a, a pinnacle of that excitement. Yes, it is quite the experience. It is quite the experience. And I think Mythic Games pretty much hit pay dirt when they uh, brought you on board. So, um, <laughs> Thank let's, you. Let's talk a little bit about Mythic Games. How long have they been a game company? So yeah, Mythic Games has, a, has an interesting backstory because Mythic Games actually got its start uh, through the sort of partnership of uh, Benoit Volt, who was the lead game designer or the, the game designer on Mythic Battles Pantheon, and Leonidas Vesperini, who is um, a long-time uh, professional in the games uh, industry. He edited and, and led the Revage uh, gaming magazine in France, and they came together um, whenever Benoit decided he wanted to make a miniatures version of what was then Mythic Battles Pantheon, which had originally uh, been published, but just simply with tokens. And Leo had, at that time, Leonidas had uh, connections with Monolith as he had supported them during their Conan campaign. And to help make Mythic Battles become a reality back in 2016, uh, they essentially, Benoit and Leo, founded Mythic Games 
work together 50-50 with Monolith to bring that game to life with the, the rules, the ideas and the passion and the creativity coming from uh, Leo and Benoit and then the production, the manufacturing, the business side and, and the, the strength that Monolith had as a, as a wonderful company also based in, in France coming together to make that a reality. So that was the first uh, project and the first kind of realization of Mythic Games but realistically it was just a small number of guys I think it was between six or seven uh, and this is really just sort of three years ago and uh, then Mythic Battles Panthen exploded you know it just it yeah. went huge on Kickstarter you know uh, and that was just an amazing thing for for both for Monolith and also also for Mythic Games of course and that meant that Mythic Games was able to grow uh, as a company and we have now grown up to 27 uh, full-time staff and that's across France uh, the UK and Luxembourg and we also have contractors and in, in Poland and in Spain and people we work with on a, on a regular basis so we're about three years old which mm -hmm. is crazy to think that. Um, and we now have done three solo projects ourselves. So that's the first one was Time of Legends, Joan of Arc, which was our first solo Kickstarter that ran at the end of 2017, October to November 2017. And that, I think, is the project that everyone really knows us for because that's the one that's delivering in just a little under sort of two months, really, uh, to all of the backers. And that was the one we got just under 10,000 backers for it and, and $2.1 million. And it just meant we could expand as a company and really um, enter the publishing world full on. And I think there was a, there was a point where Benoit and Leo had the opportunity to say, okay, we have a decision to make here. We could either produce Time of Legends, Joan of Arc on its own and get that fully done and then also just deliver it to backers and that be that. Or we can invest in the business, we can double down, we can increase our size and keep doing more. And that's exactly what they did. And I'm eternally grateful for that because that meant People like myself were able to come on board, more artists, more game designers, and we were able to produce Solomon Cain last summer and then Wright Busters um, last November, last winter. And so now we have three Kickstarters under our belt and we're now powering ahead towards delivery, towards retail, towards more conventions and things like organized play and all the good things that come with being uh, an established publisher. So 2019 is... Um, I wouldn't say the biggest year for Mythic Games, but it is definitely a, a big year in terms of our, our timeline, our lifespan. Well, I want to go back a little bit. You uh, mentioned uh, Leonidas, Leo. I met mm -hmm. him at Gen Con 2017, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, I had seen in the event catalog that, in terms of the vendors and such, yeah. the Time of Legends, Joan of Arc, and it piqued my interest. And I tell you what, when I walked up to the booth and I saw the miniatures, and we're, we'll talk about <laughs> Joan of Arc, we'll talk about Solomon yeah. Cain and all that stuff. Um, one, I was blown away. And we'll talk about the dragon when we get, out, <laughs> <laughs> get to the Joan of Arc topic. But I met this guy with this wild, crazy hair because I had set up an interview <laughs> and they said, please meet with Leonidas. And, and I'm like, who? <laughs> you know? Okay. And I met him and just like you, his enthusiasm and energy level was like off the scale. Well, and where, where mine comes from energy drinks, Leo's comes from draining the blood of unicorns because he is <laughs> ever youthful, ever energetic, ever charismatic. Yes, One is. of my biggest fears upon joining Mythic Games was having to be on camera beside Leo because he is intimidatingly magnificent he, as a person. Yes. If he was an actor, he would be chewing on the scenery in a minute. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we, we joke that he Leo, as I said, he used to run um, magazines, used to do a lot of interviews himself. And he once uh, interviewed Tom Hiddleston, 
you know, of, mm-hmm. of Loki and Marvel fame. And Tom Hiddleston took a selfie of him and Leo, not the other way around. <laughs> That's how charming Leonidas he Desperini is. is, you know. <laughs> charming is the best word. And if you get a chance to see him, tell him I said hello. And I hope that he comes to Gen Con so that I can also say hello. But he's the one who sold me on Mythic Games because <laughs> his enthusiasm and, and what he was talking about really sold me on getting behind the Joan of Arc Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And also, I did not know that he was part of the uh, the force behind the Conan board game, the Monolith board game. I love that game. I play yeah. that a lot, and I had mm-hmm. no idea that he was part of that team. Yeah, he was a part of the communication and the sort of the Kickstarter face of that. You know, he he helped support Monolith. I think that was kind of one of the... He's, Leo has right back into his... Not to speak about him too much, but right back into his younger days that he has developed games himself. He's worked a lot in the RPGs. He has a deep-seated um, passion for everything he does so whenever he was able to work with Monolith and help them with that communication side of things and, and their Kickstarter, I think he just jumped right. at, at the opportunity. And Leo is um, the man with every connection. It's fantastic. If you walk with Leo uh, through a convention, you need to add about an hour to your travel time <laughs> because you're going to stop and meet everybody along the way. You right. know? And as someone myself, I've only been in the industry just a couple of years now. That's a real uh, delight. Um, mm. You know, we as a company are still quite young and I think you know we've still got to deliver games and the proof is in the pudding but we are underpinned by people who have been in the industry for a long long time and have a lot of respect and i think that's a key part we're we're not just some kind of upstart company who don't know what we're doing we are grounded in experience and i think leo is is a key part of that well let's hope that mythic games has a very long and successful history i Uh, hope so let's go ahead and talk about the games uh let's start with uh, time of legends joan of arc so yeah um it is about Joan of Arc, but it's more than just Joan of Arc. It's yeah. kind of a historical... I'm going to let you explain it because I could explain <laughs> it, but I'm sure you can do it better. So tell us a little bit about the, the background and the idea behind Joan of Arc, and then we'll talk about some of the gameplay and what stage it's at right now. Absolutely. So so the setting for, for Time of Legends, Joan of Arc, is the Hundred Years' War. So it really gets broken down in, into two parts. The first is the historical. So we're looking at the figures that were alive during that time. We're looking at Joan of Arc. We're looking at John Talbert. We're looking at French heroes like Lahir. We're taking these actual historical figures and putting them into this board game with miniatures that realize their characters as they were written about, you know, kind of um, hype, you know, hyped up and exactly exaggerated a little to make them really powerful, passionate leaders and to exemplify the things that really made them, um, you know, celebrities of the historical Mm -hmm. timeline. As a as a historical reenactor and fan of history, the Hundred Years War is one of my favorite time periods. And I my historical reenacting portray a Hundred Years War English longbowman. You do not. I do. Oh, wow. We. Yes. And so that was also one of the things that came in as a, a a grabber for me, yeah. something that just yeah. really grabbed me. It is, it's great because you've got all the historical characters of that time. So go ahead, mm-hmm. go ahead. No, no, and then because the fact that you picked up on the English longbowman is absolutely perfect because it's, it is the age of chivalry and it's, it's the time of knights and heroes and the longbow is quite possibly one of the two most pinnacle um, mm-hmm. weapons and units in the game um, compared then with the mounted cavalry, the heaven mounted cavalry of uh, the French. So whenever we take some of the battles from that time, the Battle of the Herrings, the Battle of Patenay, we look at these and say, how can we recreate them on the battlefield? Um, 
and in it, you know, in a board game, you know, because it is, it is, although we use fantastic, beautiful minis, it is a hex area based, you know, dice driven um, order and area activation board game. So we had to take those historical and distill them down to the core, uh, their, their core feeling. Mm-hmm. Aside from the historical, though, we also wanted to go mythological. So we, and the core uh, strapline of that for us was always, what happens is if everything that the people of that time believed in was real. So angels, demons, witches, werewolves, and of course, dragons yes and we delve into the religious side we didn't we didn't hold back on that you know we have entire um settings and campaigns and scenarios based on the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh the leviathan and and the mighty the mighty devil you know that we we also have um judgment and representations of the lamb and these kind of uh, more uh, powerful uh, saint michael for example powerful religious uh, holy figures and that is a kind of a whole separate part to the game that you can mix with historical kind of as and when you want and when you sit down to play you'll usually be playing either a historical based scenario or uh, a mythological uh, based scenario so you have a, a grounding for what to expect when you play and that goes right through the mechanics and that gave us a lot of space to play in not just from an artistic standpoint and from a sculpting and visual standpoint because we went you know we went all out with what we could do there you did. but also from a gameplay standpoint as well you know we could have a lot of fun with what we thought uh, a leviathan would do on the battlefield did you have any um not you but did the company have any issues or qualms about going into the religious side because many of the figures are those figures that are named in the bible or you know mm-hmm. as you said part of the mythological mindset of mm-hmm. the 14th century english and european person yeah any concern about going the religious tact so yeah, I mean, always you have to you have to treat these things um, carefully. Um, so you know, we we decided to keep it. I mean, relatively um, abstract. You know, so you have the names, uh, you have the minis, and you have a representation for how those units and those characters act on the battlefield. But we don't really tend to go any any deeper than that. Okay. And um, you know, a good example for it, we have um, a scenario called the Sword of Fierbois, which is where um, Joan of Arc is searching for the legendary sword that allowed her to basically get communicated to by by angels. Um, you know, and this this is something, of course, that you know, depending on how you look at it, is either history or folklore or completely make believe, depending on where you, you fall on that. But we we treated it as a mythological scenario where this was true. And when you play the game, if you're leading Joan of Arc and you get that sword, you will then get access to bringing those angels down. But we don't delve in further than that. Um, the the religious history and the, and the background of it is just empowering the images and the feeling of what you'll play in the battlefield and the power and the, the kind of inspirational look of everything. But not any any more than that. So we 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 treated it um, as inspiration rather than as any kind of um, guiding text. I think would be the best way to look at it. Okay. All right. So that's a good segue. Talk um, a bit. I know you can get very detailed because it's a detailed game. A little yes. bit on how the gameplay works for Joan of Arc, if you can kind of condense it in Abs- absolutely. Some and um, so the core thing is you, you always, as I mentioned before, you'll, you'll know whether you're playing a tactical or mythical uh, scenario or, or battle, first of all, that will help kind of set you up for what to expect. 
and whenever you're playing the, the core game you will pick a scenario and the scenario will give you a little bit of context as to where the setting is whether it's a, a real historical battle that you're reenacting or whether it's something as I say fantastical or more narratively driven so for example again uh, to delve into one uh, we have one where you, one side plays as a werewolf who's looking through a town trying to basically spread his rules and, and, and get an easy meal while the other side is trying to find out who the werewolf is and stop them so it's completely different to reenacting the Battle of Herrings you know where there's a convoy that's trying to be interrupted by a French mounted cavalry attack that are trying to disrupt the unit so you'll pick a scenario that'll give you your base setting so you know what you're after the gameplay then follows a, a very simple round system so every round both player will get a turn and both players will have orders to issue to your units and how you, you do that is you simply take an order cube you place it in an area and the game is played with hexes and that's one of the fantastic things because not only does it let us customize the board any way we want to help recreate all of these scenarios but the hexes come in in three different styles either uh, one large hex with one large area two half areas or three third areas and each of those areas means that you can very much change using the same number of hexes how big a battlefield feels so you'll issue orders to areas and command your units to move uh, interact to attack to equip to start conversations to search and you'll proceed to kind of give out all of your orders and the orders are very straightforward they're usually just to either perform basic actions or in some cases if your units have the the keywords and skills you'll be able to charge you'll be able to reactivate or you even be able to interrupt your opponent to do, to do special actions on on their turn Generally speaking, you'll both take turns. Each player will go back and forth, and it can be two, two, three, or four players. And um, you'll go back and forth until one of you meets your victory conditions, and that's something that again set out by the scenario. The thing that makes it, the game so interesting and replayable is you're always going to have a couple of decks of cards which are going to give you tactical options at the beginning of each round. So we have a War Council deck, which gives both players the option of choosing one of three cards that are going to customize your turn, giving you more options or the ability to change your rally point or bring units back from the infirmary, for example. And we also have a tactics deck, and the tactics deck is defined by whether you're playing a tactical battle or a mythological battle. You will choose, or if you wish to draw cards from this deck, to give instant one-time effects. So if you're playing mythological, for example, this might be summoning some devils to harass or harangue your opponents. Whereas if you're playing tactical, it might be a, a retreat or a maneuver or an extra bonus on your attack or defense to swing the tide of a battle. So you're always going to have these little effects that your opponent's going to have to deal with. All the units in the game, whether you're talking about military or mythological or, or character units, all come with a card, and that card dictates special abilities. So, for example, as you mentioned earlier, Dean, that the longbowmen is a key one because they use uh, yellow dice. There's four different types of dice for, for attacking and defending, and they use yellow mm -hmm. dice, which is very keen on pushing. They're very good at disrupting, very good at spreading out enemy units and causing them to scatter because of the rain of arrows, versus something like our foot knights, who are far better at using red dice to kill, maim, disrupt, and actually take units out of the battlefield. So you'll have to choose very carefully what units you engage with where. So it is a, a game about movement, a game about scenario, and a game about picking your victory conditions and paying attention to that, because that will change from game to game. Overall, you'll play a set number of rounds, issuing orders every round, tweaking it tactically each time with some decisions that are randomized and given to you and your opponent, and hopefully you come out on top. And that, that in essence, <laughs> is an overview of a single game. Uh, you had mentioned in passing some of the aspects of the gameplay is that you can interact with some of the parts of the board, the characters mm -hmm. on the board, a conversation yes. or an investigation. I did a playtest 
with Leo in 2017. And I found that to be really interesting that not everybody is a target to be killed or maimed. As you said, it's sometimes a, a point of interest to get more information or to reach a goal for victory. Yeah. Is and that correct? That's the thing. There will always be little side tracks and conversations and intrigue cards, we call them, where you can start conversations and potentially be rewarded or even penalized depending on the actions you choose. The reason that's quite important is you have to choose just how many of your orders and you will have only a limited amount that mm-hmm. you wish to spend going on these kind of side quests to recruit civilians that might give you equipment, it might actually give you access to summon more units, like, for example, rallying peasants at a town if you're able to take control of that town for example. And the other thing is that as you're, you're doing these actions, as you're eliminating opponents, as you're completing those side objectives and such, you're going to gain um, experience. Your characters, your leaders of your army will get experience. And that experience can lead your characters to actually evolve and level up essentially uh, through throughout the game. And you can have Joan of Arc, for example, as a very typical example, can choose in the middle of a scenario to become either a holy or an unholy version of herself, changing hmm. not only uh, her card and the abilities that she has and how she acts. So for example, when she becomes unholy, she becomes more terrifying, meaning units will struggle to attack her. They'll take penalties of trying to run at her because she is so um, you know, fierce. Hmm. Where if you go holy, she gains the access to prayers and to interacting with um, characters in, in, in different ways, meaning she can gain uh, tokens and, and a powers that she wouldn't get to going the other way. So taking this time to go and do other things and to get experience in different ways is always going to be a a kind of an interesting decision depending on what your opponent's doing and what you're how well you're doing your objectives all right i i'm a kickstarter backer on this and i i wouldn't (laughs) say i went all in but i went a long ways (laughs) um and part of that reason is because of the miniatures i believe the miniatures at least for the uh the characters the humanoid Mm -hmm. characters what are they about uh 18 millimeter yeah, you're, this is the thing. We, we, we tend, because it's a board game, and we don't usually focus on the scale too much because we don't wish to mislead people because the, the minis are very similar to a 15 millimeter that you would get in you know Flames of War, for example. Mm-hmm. However, the characters are a little bit larger. They're kind of like a 15 mil heroic, so that puts some of them in the kind of 16 to 18 mil kind of range, as you mentioned, um, so we can get that extra level of detail right. into the miniature. Now, you know, if you, if you hold your hand up and you look at your thumb, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what you're talking. If you look at your thumbnail, that's kind of what you're talking about for yes. a lot of the minis. But we wanted all of the chain meal, all, all of the, the frills, all of the details and the hair to all be there in the characters. And we're so happy that we've managed to do that. Um, we do get a lot of questions about, you know, why didn't you do it 28 millimeter? Uh, why have you got three pike men on a single base? You know, why that? And, it's, and the reason I think is once you see it on the table and you see a whole bunch battle laid out it's just visually um stunning yeah it's really really great to take in and it's hard to explain it's hard to explain it really is um i joke i jokingly say when people ask me the scale i say the scale is one human to one dragon mouth because when when i first joined the company i saw the dragon for the first time i i couldn't stop giggling because a, a human mini fits perfectly in the dragon's mouth and also fits perfectly in the devil's hand. So minis of this scale, when people say, why didn't you do it so 28 mil? When you see them, the scale it's a bit peculiar when you see one on its own. <laughs> but when you put it on a battlefield and then you start to put in uh, the cockatrice, when you start to put in the leviathan, when you put the, de- the devil and the dragon in, it all makes sense. The dragon is the scale, two scale to the church and the humans, and that feels so good. It like, on, the, on the table. 
and it looks so great. And if you were doing 25 millimeter or whatever, mm-hmm. the dragon would be even bigger than it is already. Right now, yeah. <laughs> we're looking at, and I cannot wait to get this, I think the wingspan tip to tip is 20. Two oh. inches, something. To oh, 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 okay. So yeah, I know it's. I'm sorry, my measurements are going to be a different. Figure. Yes, that's I understand. Fifty-four yes. centimeters. Okay. Uh, which is that's probably not far off from what you said in inches. Yeah. Right? It's about two and a half centimeters to an inch. Yeah. Is that right. So mm-hmm. yes, I think you're about twenty-two inches is about right. Wow, that's amazing, and it is gorgeous. It is exactly what I think of when I think of dragons. Mm-hmm. It's that. It is that. And you've got the castle walls and you've got the buildings and they're all to scale with the humans. And that is just makes it a beautiful game to look at, too. So, yeah, because because we have a siege, we have a castle, we have siege towers, we have bombards, you know, we have um, taverns and inns and the church. And the scale really comes together when it's all on the board because it just it means you can just do so much and right. charging across the battlefield towards a wall just feels epic. And that's really what we wanted to capture. So where is Joan of Arc at right now in terms of uh, the Kickstarter campaign and everything? Where, where is it at? So basically, um, as of literally just this week, uh, as of time of recording, um, we have 465 pallets of Joan of Arc um, that are currently moving from the factory to our fulfillment partners to be sent to backers. So it is being shipped in two waves. So all the core set, what, what we decided to do when we realized just how large a project this was going to be, we're actually working with five different factories to give you it's, it's a It's a humongous uh, project. This wow. Every, you know, every all in has like 977 minis. Yes. So, and there was quite a lot of all-ins i must admit um which you know i'm incredibly thankful for um so when we realized just the scope and the scale of how large this project was we decided to do two waves so the first thing we did was we looked at what the most common um pledge levels were so that was the core set and um, with the stretch goals of course uh, the dragon uh, the the devil um, and we kind of bundled those all together into a first wave and that'll be with backers and um, Touch wood, I can't say the exact date, but it basically should be with backers um, between the end of April and the start of May, around that kind of time frame. Including um, U.S. and North America? Yes. Okay. Um, so essentially what happens is we, we send the, the EU stuff just a little bit before the U.S. because the EU stuff takes slightly longer mm-hmm. um, to, to get from the fulfillment to there. So we hope that everything will arrive in roughly the same time. Um, we have a couple of exceptions. Like we, we for example, we, we, we did a special case with Brazil because those guys unfortunately do get charged woefully large um, import taxes and, and you know there's, there's things to get around there. So, for example, we tried to make a deal with a, a distributor there who would help us bring it in and then ship out from there so there's some special cases where we're kind of taking extra steps to help the backers but it means the timeline's different but 95 percent of backers will get it all we have one um, around the start of may we have two will follow this summer um, and that'll be 40 kilograms for anyone that decided to go all in they'll get that across the two waves all right i'm excited i'm very I'll, i might have to build a new game room just for this game <laughs> Um, I, I will definitely be uh, buying an Ikea shelving unit so I can put <laughs> everything onto bases and leave them all there ready to go the moment I want it because yes. um, I am going to be playing a lot of Joan of Arc, it's fair to say. Yeah. Do you think, um, and we're going to move on here, but I just wanted to ask, do you think that Joan of Arc will be presented at Gen Con by chance for people who, you know, so, it's going to be in the hands of some people. Something uh, we announced actually um, just last week, just in the sort of the around the I think it was the fifteenth or so of March, maybe a little earlier. Um, we have officially announced that Joan of Arc will be coming to retail. 
Yes. Now, this is something that we teased during the campaign. We did. We, we put a, an article out with ICV2 where we did an interview saying retail is somewhere, we'd, something we'd love to go with this, this product. The, the, the initial problem, and, and it's a large one, is that, as I mentioned, the all-in for this was 40 kilograms. It, it was incredibly large boxes. It's not something that could ever really have worked at retail. We couldn't have asked any store to, to stock that kind of range, even ignoring the Kickstarter exclusive stuff that, of course, we will you know, we'll never take to retail even that on its own would, would be massive so we, we we focused on getting the game finished we focused on getting the the, kick, the kickstarter done so the backers will get everything first but once the backers have everything later in november this year we'll have essentially a joan of arc core set come mm-hmm. out and that'll be almost like a two-player introduction to the game where you get five sort of slimmed down scenarios that kind of strip some of the more kind of complicated rules away and just give you 73 minis to get a feeling for the game with with five very different but as i say kind of simplified scenarios that are not quite as complex as what's in the kickstarter and our hope is that, you know, at Gen Con, you know, we can kind of start to show this off. And uh, in November, if it does get received well, we can then continue to kind of support the retail. Um, and that, that get, a couple of things come off the back of that, which is um, we can bring dragons and devils, hopefully, to people who are clambering for them. Yes. I must admit, one of the, the biggest questions I got at Gamma was from retail, from store owners saying, when can I get this dragon? I just want this dragon. I have 20 people that will buy this dragon. They want it for role playing. They want it for, for Warhammer. Just give me this dragon and i was like <laughs> i was like I, I get where you're coming from but we must deliver to our backers first yes we we, we, we that that that's absolutely our, our number one priority and everything else then can, can, can come after that okay the second thing going to retail really does for us is hopefully um, we can expand on our battle mode um, and our battle mode is something that co- will come as an online document with the kickstarters delivering where you can say hey I, I, you know, I want to play an English army if you want to play your English longbowman and you can say as I want to make a 2000 point English army and I might make a 2000 point French or holy or Ottoman or unholy army and then we just have a battle you know, we have a straight up, uh, no frills, clear objectives, just capturing the points or killing each other's commanders. And we just have a, a set point battle. And by going to retail and allowing that product to be available to anybody that wants to pick it up, we can hopefully expand that battle mode into something more where we can actively support um, a player base who are into the kind of competitive side of things as well, if, if it turns out that that's there. And I do believe we've definitely had a lot of positive response to the little tournaments and the little uh, battle mode things we have done, especially in, in videos. So going to retail, and oh, sorry, to back to your original question is, will it be at Gen Con? Almost certainly, because we do have plans for, for Time of Legends and for Joan of Arc. We, we are not going to be uh, abandoning this product. We, we want to see it uh, continue to thrive. Fantastic. Okay, uh, just to remind our listeners, I am speaking with Az Drummond, the Community and Communications Manager from Mythic Games. We're talking about all the cool stuff that Mythic Games has, and well, we just got done talking about Joan of Arc. Let's go on to the next one. I'm very excited. I'm also a backer. It is <laughs> Solomon Kane, who is a creation of the incredibly brilliant and creative mind of Robert E. Howard, mm-hmm. the creator of probably everybody knows Conan the Barbarian, who he actually never called Conan the Barbarian. He called him Conan the Sumerian. That's yeah. I love that you picked up on that. That's such an interesting point. We and whenever we got the license for Solomon Cain, we were very happy that we were able to bring uh, as a sort of a consultant a gentleman called Patrice Lunet. Oh yes, he actually has a degree based on Robert E. Howard's writing. I hope to. I 
not sure. I'm going to the Robert E. Howard days in um, in Texas, Cross Plains, Texas, yep. and I think he might be there. I'm going down there because, well, Robert E. Howard is a literary hero of mine, I guess you would oh, call wonderful. it. And so I want to be able to see the home and the where yeah. he did all this creation. But hopefully that gentleman will be there so I can get the book that I have signed. I'm, I must admit, I, I, I know he went last year, and I hope he's, he's there again for you this year. Unfortunately, I don't know right now. But I, I came into the Solomon Cain project not having read any of the short stories of Solomon Cain by Robert E. Hard. And so I, I, and I'm very glad to say that I'm glad, glad that I got the opportunity to do it because the collection of stories are simply fantastic. Mm-hmm, um, Robert E. Hard was such a, a creative and visual storyteller. And there's, there's, there's certain moments in those stories that just jumped off the page to me. And I'm very lucky that in my role, part of what I do is I get to kind of help direct and kind of decide what are our trailers, which is quite a big part of, of the thing we do at Mythic Games with our Kickstarters and what our trailers would look like. And there's moments um, in, in the stories where uh, Robert E. Hard talks about Solomon being empowered by you know his courage and by this faith and this belief that he had, but even he didn't know where it was coming from. And that's just so, like, it's so superhero of its time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He was ahead of his time in his writing in terms of how he portrayed Solomon as this epic Puritan, uh, you know, he wouldn't have been a witch hunter in Robert E. Howard's eyes, I don't believe, but I think that's what he became kind of conical of. Um, and, And it was a real pleasure uh, really to read those stories and they've aged just so well they have um robert e howard i think is he's coming into his own in terms of people recognizing him as a yeah. a true literary genius but for many many years people would be they would poo poo the whole idea mm-hmm. of reading something by robert e howard he wrote about yep. that barbarian guy yeah you know and they would basically throw it to the back and say that's not mm-hmm. worth my time but if you actually do read and Read it carefully. It is some amazing work. And you guys, I think, from the uh, interview that we had last year, really captured the essence of Solomon mm-hmm. Cain in this game. And so if you would talk a little bit about Col- uh, Solomon Cain, talk a little yeah. bit about the gameplay, and just go for it. Thank you. Um, so uh, the baseline of Solomon Cain is very much a cooperative game. Um, so it's one to four players. Um, and the thing that I think stands out more than anything and very different from Conan is that nobody specifically plays as Solomon Cain. If you play uh, the game, you will instead be playing as one of the four cardinal virtues that helps to guide and empower and protect Solomon, exactly as I sort of described and exactly as how Robert E. Hard um, outlined those feelings that Solomon had. So you'll play as courage and as temperance, as justice or as prudence, each one with their own asymmetrical dashboard and asymmetrical deck of cards that are going to help Solomon Cain propel himself through adventures. And each of those adventures are broken down into acts, and each of those acts are broken down into chapters. So, for example, you may have a 10-chapter act to work your way through, and each of those chapters could be like a little scenario. Some of them will be story-based, some of them will be actual scenes. Those scenes could be fights and brawls in taverns. They could be uh, sword fights on the beaches with pirates. They could be saving the damsel, um, or they could be running for your life. And um, The scenes are very 
very uh, varied and that's because the stories of Solomon Cain were, were very varied um, he you know he went to Africa and um, he traveled around Europe and England and, and France and um, he was an avid sailor of course we, we don't get a huge amount of information about Solomon Cain's history but what we do know is that he really was um, well seasoned as a traveler and he was a very experienced um, fighter and we dove into all of that meaning that when you when you actually play the game you're going to be following the Solomon Cain story and trying to impact it. So we'll be taking the short stories that you know if you've read the books or if you haven't, you'll get to experience them and you'll get to diverge those paths. If you make a slightly different decision, if you do better or worse than Solomon did in the story, then you're going to go into new realms that the stories never did, where you take a different option, you follow a different person, you uh, decide to pass judgment rather than slay, when, or you negotiate instead of actually having to pull out your, your pistol um, when the time calls for it. So it gives players a lot of kind of narrative and storytelling control. And all that's powered by a dice play and cooperative negotiation with each other where you're giving each other resources you're lending each other your dice to help empower cards while you're all being constantly attacked by darkness which is essentially an ai a deck of cards that will be haranguing you with villains and rabble and constantly trying to bring you down if you really want to get into it further there is a solo mode where you'll be able to play as Providence, who is basically a combination of all four virtues. So if you want to play on your own, you can play either as the four individual virtues yourself or as Providence, who's this all-encompassing virtue, giving you a completely unique way to approach the game on your own. Or if you're into the more competitive aspect, we also have a darkness mode where a player can actually, instead of having an AI darkness deck, a player can take on the role of darkness and take on between one and four other players, thus oh, being able to time and manip manipulate that darkness and that story more, which I think is really interesting because you have a, a pulling and tugging either direction of which way the story is going to go with every chapter. Oh, wow. This sounds amazing. I know that the board is far different than the Joan of Arc board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you were talking about the story plays out in chapters and acts. How mm -hmm. long is an act and how many well, acts usually make up a chapter? <laughs> so it's, it's the other way around. So the, oh, okay. I'll, I'll go through it. There are 17 adventures okay. across the game, which are essentially like reading an entire story, 17 different stories. So one may take place in Africa, one may take place in France, one may take place in Europe. They're all completely different. We then have in those 17 adventures, 35 different acts. Okay. And each of those acts usually has 10 chapters okay so the feeling is that if, if we started out in a tavern we might have three or four different potential options and things we could do to try and decide how we're going to follow the trail of the story mm -hmm. and depending on what we do we'll go to maybe 2a or 2b or 2c or 2d and then from there the story will then change and our options for following on after the next this next chapter will change again and it's a little it's tough to say a chapter will usually take between uh, 15 minutes and an hour say for a single chapter so that means if you're playing 10 chapters which is one act you're really talking anything between like i'd probably say five to ten hours mm -hmm. as you play through so we have a save mechanism in the game so you can essentially stop at any point and that save was... your current position and carry on because you're, you're going to need it yeah. um, <laughs> and it's tricky because we, we we avoided using the term scenarios because i think whenever you say the word scenario people get something kind of set in in their head and the reason that is is each chapter you play with solomon cain won't always have a perfectly clear objective when you start it 
you may know that how many rounds there may be before you get overwhelmed by darkness, or you may have an overall goal for the story, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that single chapter you're in is going to be crystal clear. You may have to talk and you may have to search and you may have to negotiate to open up paths of opportunity for you to complete. So I think the easiest way I can, I, can, I can kind of depict it is you have 35 acts in the entire game and across those 35 acts you're probably going to be spending between 6 and 10 hours on each. So we're talking hundreds of hours of gameplay even if you play just each act one time. That's like some people dedicating that much time to a video game. Very much so. I mean, at the moment, everything will be accompanied by a storybook. So when you play, a chapter card will give you just enough story so you can get into it. So you know what's happening and you can follow the thread throughout the entire uh, the entire act. But if you want to, each chapter is also accompanied by a story entry. And at the moment, the storybook, I believe, is up to over 75,000 words. Um, we're currently estimated for the game, it's, it's still in development largely at the moment, um, to be estimated around 250,000 words for everything all in. Holy um, I don't mind saying, and I'll be very open about this, is that the Solomon King we presented back in the summer of 2018, um, the, the Kickstarter page we presented and the content we presented back in, in sort of June and July last year has evolved and grown a lot. A, a huge amount. We've hired a, a full-time story writer um, to, to write um, new and interesting content so that when you do diverge from the original short stories, it feels still like you're inside the world of Solomon Cain and it's not just fluff text. We also have been given, thankfully, and I'm very happy to say this, Cabinet Entertainment, who licensed Solomon Cain to us, loves so much what we were doing, they let us take Solomon Cain to places he had never been. So, for example, he never visited America in any of Robert E. Harris' writing. But we decided what would have happened if you know 16th century Solomon Cain had actually gone to the Brave New World. So we're writing new stories about what happens if he was involved during the Salem Witch Trials, or what happened if he found uh, the lost colony of, I always murder this pronunciation, but it's Roanoke? Roanoke? I always murder that pronunciation. Yeah, Roanoke. <laughs> Roanoke, there we go. Um, so we're, we're doing new stuff there. So we are taking a lot of time to, to delve into this. And I genuinely, really, truly believe when people get this, they will actually be, if they compare what they're going to receive to what we originally shown, they're going to be blown away. Because I think we've, as we've developed the game, we've seen lots of opportunity to continue injecting creativity and narrative and, and really interesting decisions. And we instead of sort of saying, no, we could do that later, we said, no, let's, let's take a little bit of extra time to do it now and make it epic. Wow. I'm I'm even more excited now than I was before after you just <laughs> said that because I've been seeing the updates and everything and I'm like, mm-hmm. man, they're just going whole hog on this thing. <laughs> and um, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm really glad that you mentioned that there's a save mode in it. I, mm-hmm. I was a little worried about that because we were talking about the, uh, the, the acts and the chapters and things. I was like, wow, how do I, you know, how's that all going to work out? I'm yeah. going to have to leave this game set up forever. <laughs> and, um, and I know that I have a game called uh, This War of Mine, which mm-hmm. is a yep. really intricate, very, I don't want to call it a fun game. Because it is not. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a wonderful game of slightly depressing. The Awakened Realm guys really captured that very yes, well. Yes, they did. But they have a save mode on it. And I think yep. that's a wonderful, wonderful aspect mm-hmm. to any game that yep. is really that overall and all-encompassing in terms of its mm-hmm. gameplay. I want to talk a little bit about the miniatures also. The quality of miniatures that you guys, and this again is part of the reason why I went into the backing, is that I think you guys are putting as just as much effort into the miniatures 
as you uh, for Solomon Cain as you did for Joan of Arc, yep. and it's looking great. But there's like a there's a lot of different versions of Solomon Cain. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Pick That's what he's, true. Yeah. Uh, are you going to be able to pick what weapons he's wearing for the day, or is it kind of situational based? Um, so it's it's for Solomon Cain specifically, it is story and setting based. You know, so because we have him in Africa, because we have him in Europe and these different kind of climates, we we absolutely had to embrace the fact that he would have um, different clothing, different outfits. You know, so we have him with the musket, and we have him with his tip, typical rapier and pistol, and we also have him now. And this is an example of where, as we've developed, we've made choices. You know, after the Kickstarter that the backers thankfully have been really on board with, which is we were writing a. a story called the Death black riders and we found that actually when we were play testing it and we were putting it on the table it felt really strange to have solomon on foot it didn't feel natural for the momentum and the feeling of, of the scenario of, of the chapters and that involved in that act so we said hey guys what we'd like to do is we'd like to to take away one of the the Death black riders minis because we actually feel that four was actually too many it didn't really need to be that many so we went to three and instead what we did is we made a new solomon kean mounted mini um, and and that was incredibly well received and i'm very thankful that and it's one of the benefits of kickstarter really isn't it that we can have those discussions and show our thought process and people can see where it's coming from and get an understanding of why that's going to be in the game mm-hmm. and i think as a as a backer like i personally love backing games and following campaigns to 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 be part of the people in the process you know james hudson is a man i kind of look up to a lot he does fantastic live videos where he talks very candidly about the industry and about the decisions that are being made and i and i love that and i want us at mythic games to continue to be open um, with our backers and let them know how development is going and why we're making these decisions and why the tiles are being redone because we wanted something more gothic we wanted something more uh, you know intriguing and um, to represent in a certain chapter um so i sorry i got lost in a train of thought for a second there my, my mind was wandering to that's settings. okay um we were talking about the miniatures <laughs> the and, minis, yeah. and the fact that the kickstarter campaign updates are so helpful and mm-hmm. you're so willing to take input and i think you know where i'm going with this because this mm-hmm. is something that we've had an experience <laughs> yeah. outside of this discussion you're willing to take comments and act on those comments from the backers mm-hmm. and case in point is you had an image of solomon kane on a horse and he was yep. riding with two pistols out mm-hmm. and i am a reenactor i'm also an avid target shooter and i shoot a lot of muzzle loading guns and i noticed right off the bat that the guns the way they were designed were completely ineffectual he had yep. either not shot them not loaded them or they had already been shot or in half, some half way, cocked, I think yes, was the free. yes, in <laughs> was, one they way, they shape, working yet. yeah, they were at half cock in one way or another. They were not going to be useful yep. in anything other than as a thrown object. <laughs> <laughs> and, Which I'm not sure if I think of any of the stories, I'm not sure if Solomon ever did that or that or he would do that. Right. So yeah, that had to change. <laughs> but I commented on the on the update and you contacted me mm-hmm. and then you took my, you know, I, I told you what I think it should look like, and you took that to the artist in hope of having it fixed. And I think that's awesome that, you know, just a regular old backer can have some type of input into the game that they've been backing. And I think that's great. Uh, and thank you. Honestly, um, 
there's two sides to this. You know, the first one is we, we like to be kept correct. You know, sometimes things do slip through, whether it is a typo or a miniature or a piece of art not quite looking correct. And obviously, we don't want to get into the habit of not doing things correctly. You know, that's not what we want to do. But when we're talking about so many different minis, so many different characters, especially in the case of Solomon Kane, um, and when we're making changes in the middle of development like this one uh, was, um, we're happy to share it with backers as early as we can. And then if we if they if they catch something that we didn't because there's thousands of eyes looking at it then fantastic we would be we, why why wouldn't we listen you know um of course you know the internet is the internet not all mm-hmm. feedback is fantastic but um there's always a kernel of feeling or truth or passion or, or something behind it so when somebody you know, like yourself of course comes and says you know this isn't quite right i think it really should be another way um of course we have to embrace that i think we would be uh crazy not to and i think that um comes down a lot to kind of how we we tend not to to parody things if that makes sense we mm-hmm. we tend to either create our own characters and our own world or, or you know in the case of Solomon Kane you license something where you know I've never seen a piece of art for Songa or Golka and I've only seen limited pencil arts of Nalonga so we had to create these versions um, that we hoped would appease diehard fans. Um, so there's always a bit of a risk to that. But when it comes to something actually just factually not being accurate, of course, we've we got to listen to it. Um, and Saul McKean is, is, is a great example because I think the total minis for it was like 170, 170, between 175 and 180 minis. But of that number, over 100, I think like 107 or so were unique minis. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's because there's so many because it's story based every adventure this as i said there's 17 different adventures and every adventure features a different cast of characters mm-hmm. so we didn't want Lulu or Lacosta or George Banway or any of these characters to just be a duplicate mini you use across the board we wanted all of them to be characters uh, and with their own unique bases, their own scenic bases that set them in the location, you know, of where they appear in the story. So when you're playing, these aren't board game pieces. They are characters uh, and they look and feel like characters. You'll be able to see every finger, every strand of hair, every beard, uh, you know, that coiled up and every bit of blood matted into the, the tavern keeper, you know, and, and that to us was just, um, clinical and so important for a story driven game with 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 minis uh, it had to be high quality it, it had to not be um you know single cast flat minis where they're just kind of hands up in the air we wanted them to be dynamic we wanted them to be running for you we wanted the pistols to be drawn the swords to be out instances that made sense um and all of that comes down to uh, our wish to have something that really feels epic. You know, we have Jack Hollister from the Blue Flame of Vengeance in a full, overly kind of bravado stance where he's protecting his betrothed. Um, and he's got one sword fully extended in front of him, a powerful kind of almost fencing stance with his other arm straight out behind him. That's exactly what yes. we want to encapsulate. Yeah. Solomon Kane is still in development. How long before it moves into production and then shipping are we looking at maybe another 
eight months to a year? If I'm honest with you, it's something that we're, we're going to be actually kind of updating our backers on really soon because we, have, we haven't we have given anything super, super rigid or clear at this point because we have been taking a, a lot of time with each of the individual stories. We've been kind of going through each of the adventures one at a time. We have a development team of, of uh, three game developers and then also Jack Thornton um, kind of overseeing um, all of this as well. And um, so four of them who are kind of working on it very actively um, um, and we're not we're, we're not rushing it out. We are trying to get this really as a wonderful experience. So through our kind of WhatsApp Wednesdays, we do an update on all of our games every single Wednesday. We're going to soon have some information out on Solomon Game to give a bit more of a realistic timeline. Um, I don't mind saying at this stage that yeah, we're, we're you know not going to be making our July uh, date. Okay. Which was you know a year a year after, and um, when the Kickstarter run it fin- finished in July last year, this was definitely uh, more than a twelve month project. We now realise, and unfortunately, I think we haven't up until this point been able to give some really accurate information. But in the next kind of coming weeks, we will be able to. Um, and it's yeah, it's largely down to just how much story and narrative and kind of adventure we wanted to kind of inject into it. So it was an active decision. It wasn't a. Uh, uh, sort of it wasn't through lack of resources or through any kind of issues or overlapping in the company like we the projects we did with Joan of Arc and, and Wright Busters for example were completely separate there were different teams uh, working on these so it's just where we said we can we can do more uh, with this so yeah unfortunately I can't tell you right now I'm afraid but in, in the next kind of week or two we'll have something out on the Kickstarter page to all of our backers just to let them know roughly what the timeline is going to be all right well as a backer I would rather have a well done complete game than something that is just not all there yeah yeah i think and i think that's the thing we we could have you know we could have rushed out the door uh, as just a a board game where you're just rolling dice and matching symbols right but that i think the thing that really broke it for me personally and i'm not gonna don't mean to name drop here but a few a few different things happened where we demoed it at conventions we showed the, the, the the copy of the game that we currently had with the kickstarter and people were getting into the the narrative side of things much more than i realized they were uh, initially because they were putting on voices they were getting into the characters they were revealing what we call uh, discovery cards which are essentially your rewards or your penalties depending on how well you do when you're, you're performing actions and i played at essence last year october last year with sam healy and he decided, I, I swear it caught me off guard, he decided to take a tankard of grog, of eel that we had, and give it to a child to get the child tipsy <laughs> so the child would spill information <laughs> about the guy that we were hunting. And I did, I, I no word of a lie, I demoed the game a bunch of times and I had never considered that a possible action. And when he did that, I laughed so hard. It really, it took me by complete surprise. And it was because he had done something because of the way the game was being developed that could absolutely work. Um, So I think really from the game game development side of things, we decided to embrace that kind of feeling more. This is not a traditional hack and slashy sword fighter. This is really a full-on cooperative, narrative-driven adventure. And that's the best way I can sell it to you. So um, I'll tell it to you. All right. Um, that's- yeah, I hope I hope backers will understand. I think you know we we don't like being late. Nobody wants to deliver our games to backers more than us. Believe me, I think um, we don't like to be late. But I do hope the majority of backers will understand. And and I think we've shown a lot of what's been going on in the background. And 
take on taken on board some of the requests some people actually requested easier and more difficult modes so we now have blessings we also have the darkness mode that we've added in and that's sorry, nightmare mode sorry we've added in to increase or decrease the difficulty as you see fit and these are little things that came from backers that we thought yeah do you know what those are great ideas that are worth a little bit of extra time to give that flexibility. So yeah, really hoping that that it's gonna be an amazing product when it delivers. If anybody is an experienced Kickstarter, they just know that delivery, I don't wanna say rarely, but oftentimes never happens when promised. It's just part of the game we play and we put yeah. our trust in you guys to do it. Real quick question before we move on to the next one. Did you see the uh, Solomon Kane movie? It came out in 2009. I, I did, I did. I watched the James Purfoy movie. Um, I loved the, the scene at the end where, where he's fighting like the big the golem at the end. Like it's, um, I, I did. I, it was one of the first things I did after I started reading the short stories because I just had to check it out. And I mm-hmm. loved the look. I loved the hat he had on. Yes. The movie wasn't outstanding. No. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and defend it at all, but it, 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 it holds its own ground for, for feeling, you know, for it, it brought a, a good kind of feeling of darkness across and his whole relationship with his brother was interesting you know I, it was all right wasn't it yeah. you know what it's kind of like a lot of people complain that you know the new star wars isn't good or the new star trek isn't good but you know what you're getting something and you know what you yep. should enjoy it so absolutely absolutely yeah it, it was worth it was worth the watch for sure yes and I, i'm I love I love traveling across to the states for you know for Gen Con or for Origins or for Gamma because it's the perfect time to watch movies that you wouldn't have ever gone to the <laughs> cinema to see right so yeah. so Pacific Rim two uh, I watched oh, what did I watch going I watched the Venom movie flying oh, yes. over just to the arena mm-hmm. recently yeah it's a great time to watch those kind of movies so that's where I put Solomon <laughs> it's an airplane movie or just uh, a bit of fun when you've got a night free kind of thing right okay so let's go on to the next one that I backed <laughs> um, this is Reich Busters you I, backed this as well I you? did I saw this when we were talking with you <laughs> my son and I were there and oh, I yes. we saw the miniatures and and my son's like what the heck is this and you're like oh let me explain <laughs> <laughs> and my son looks at me afterwards as we're going, he goes, that looks like a really freaking cool game. And I and then I saw it come up on the Kickstarter campaign and I just went in for the, the base right now. But there are so many things coming with just the base. I'm like, holy cow. Um, so tell us about Reichbusters. This this Reichbusters project real was I mean obviously as clearly we like our mythological we like our over the top and we like taking something in and running with it so Reichbusters was our vision of what if World War Two the war is coming to an end and everything is passing just as we know from history the Allies are about to win and it's all going grand however behind the scenes there's a nefarious organization led by these Vril Meisters who have found this source of energy called Vril and Vril is this magical energy source that can rend matter or heal or repair, it can power machines, it can mutate humans. It's essentially this uh, almost you know, Indiana Jones, you know, Ark of the Covenant, Holy Grail type situation where if the if the real mices are able to harness this and able to use it to weaponize units and get those units to the front lines, then history is not going to play out as we know it. So, it's so a- the baseline of soldiers and officers and everything is there, but it's surrounded by this uh, over the top armored mechanized units, mutated uh, enemies. And it's all about 
the Reichbusters. The, the, the guys are going in to bust the Reich, the Allied nation's best heroes, working together to go <laughs> behind enemy lines and stop this evil research. So it's an alt history, a la yeah. uh, other games like this would be uh, Dust and sure, yeah. uh, Tannhäuser. Yeah, so, um, well-known one. We actually used a bunch of Tannhäuser minis when we were first prototyping this. <laughs> Whenever yeah. we first hit the table, great, they were great. perfect. So this is a um, co-op? Is it a co-op yes. game? Yes, okay. 100% co-op. There I is love no co-op competitive mode at all yet. Yeah, I love co-op games because it's not your fault if you lose, and if you win, everybody wins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for us, I mean, you obviously asked earlier about the you know the religious side of Joan of Arc. So for uh, when, when talking about World War II and talking about Nazis and even over-the-top, you know, crazy, scientific, evil, realmeister Nazis, um, we never wanted to glorify them. We never wanted to have players playing as them. Right. We wanted it to be, you're very much playing as realmeister factions, these over-the-top villains that you just can't take seriously. They're the ones you're trying to take down and eliminate, and you've got your own over-the-top heroes to, to kind of counteract that. We were very conscious from the get-go that the, the sort of Nazis and realmeisters were a, a common enemy, so co-op was the, the natural choice for the game. If I recall correctly in my readings you play as a as a as a unit and you're cooperative in that and you're kind of like going in on this mission to whatever the victory conditions might be but there's this level of secrecy and and Mm -hmm. and and subterfuge you want to be quiet up to a point and then if you do something wrong or you go too far the alarm sounds and that's when all hell breaks loose is that that is it you you absolutely nailed it so every single time you play whether it is a a mission with a set goal or whether you're playing what we call um a read mission which is sort of a randomly or customizable uh, customizably set up mission whether it's campaign or storage or whatever it is, you know what you're going in to get, but exactly what you're going to come across, you're not really aware of. One thing is certain, though, as you as you pick the Reichbusters, you know, as I say, between one and one and four of the different heroes, you'll need to think about how the team's going to come together because each hero comes with their own loadout, their own uh, deck of hero cards, which will define how they play, and they're all completely asymmetrical from the from the very first turn. Every Reichbuster plays completely differently, and they all come with their own skills as well which again helps tailor their play style so when you pick the team you pick it for the mission you pick it who's going to be the best for this castle or this dungeon or this assassination run or this attempt to steal the dossier and whatever it is you're trying to do and you know that when you go in you're not going to be detected they're not going to know you're there. You have this stage as you mentioned of of infiltration where we we call this the pre-alarm basically Everything you do, however, will result in some level of noise. So if you're kicking in doors, if you're picking up items, if you choose to fire weapons, that's you know an optional thing. Or if you go, if you really choose to go mad and fire a Panzerschreck or <laughs> throw a grenade, that's going to have an impact on the round and the the pre-alarm tracker. And someone's going to hear it. Someone's going to. That's hear it. it. That is it. Patrols may accidentally walk into you. You know, on, at ease, patrols who are just doing rounds, um, you know, in, in in the map in the area may just bump into you. But if you do make enough noise, you'll cause units to start coming towards you and, and trying to find out where you are, and they will raise the alarm. And at some point, no matter how good you are, no matter how far you get, how close to your objective you get, or how you know all, all guns blazing you go in, at some point the alarm's going to go off, and at that point the game really changes tone. Um, uh, you stop worrying so much about noise. You start worrying more about just eliminating as many foes as you can, completing the objective, and crucially, 
getting out because the idea is that you have no way to report back to the allied headquarters you have to one of you at least has to make it back with the dossier or the fact that you've exploded the the, the big real panzer or the fact that you've taken out your target one of you has to make it out to tell the story if nobody makes it out you're going to feel and in a campaign that can be really punishing because in the campaign setting you only have the heroes available and the, the equipment and items and upgrades available that you're able to leave with. If you leave someone behind, you're not going to have them for the next mission. Hmm. So the campaign has a little narrative, a little narrative to it. Oh. It's nothing like Solomon Cain, but it's more if you play through the campaign setting, you'll get to experience experience the discovery of the experiments and the real technology with the Reichbusters. So you'll be starting off with soldiers, dogs, officers, then you'll move slowly into zombies and experiments and engineers, then you'll find sentry guns and bombers, and then you'll eventually get into huge experiments and really uh, deviant and massive machines. And as you delve through that story, you'll find more and more vicious and, and villainous stuff. Wow. So where is Reichbusters at right now in terms of of its development. You guys seem to be really putting out a lot of updates on that. Every Wednesday I get a nice yep. uh, Kickstarter <laughs> update and the minis look great. The updates are great. Very informative. Where are we at in terms of if you could look into the future? I do, I do apologize because if you've backed all three of our games, that means every single Wednesday you're getting an email for each game from us. So <laughs> I feel like I know you guys. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know you guys. You know, if we met on the street, be like, hey, how you doing? Oh, no. Yeah. And, and, you know, every every one of us, you know, because this is the thing, our, our updates each week are usually written by the game dev team or by myself or Leo or, or, or this because uh, Ben, for example, who looks after a lot of our logistics and our management, if there's updates on shipping and key crucial timelines, mm -hmm. Ben is, is all over that. If the project's still in development, then we get the game developers to talk about it. If the project's kind of out of development and we're into kind of the manufacturing in the final stages, then you'll kind of speak to myself or Leo and then and then Ben later on. So whoever whoever's kind of currently hands on most of the project is who we have to do updates so everybody in the company is always ready to get on and have a conversation and get in the comments you know as, as much as we can you know allow ourselves to um right brushes i'm really happy to say so this is our third solo kickstarter we've learned a lot from joan of arc and a lot from solomon cain Rightbusters, I can say, definitely is on plan for delivery one year after um, it ran on Kickstarter. So it'll be November this year it should be <gasps> delivering. And we're currently bang on plan for that to wow. uh, arrive. So it's, it's yeah, as I say, Joan of Arc being, you know, delayed by sort of um, six six to sort of eight months uh, with the two waves. Um, and then Solomon Cain, as I say, uh, we'll have more details on that soon, but almost certainly being a little bit after the July timeline. We're really happy that with Wrightbusters, we, you know, we learned a lot. And um, that had a team of uh, four guys um, working on that solidly as well, completely separate. We had, we had Josh, we had Stu, we had Steve. And we had Ed, again, all working on Wrightbusters, again, with the support of Jack Thornton kind of overseeing it. Um, so that one has kind of powered through. I'm really happy to say, again, just depending on when this comes out, but before the pledge manager closes, because it's still open until April 2nd, so we have the late pledges and the pledge manager open until then, we are hopefully going to have a new gameplay video out where we're going to share just a little bit of information on the Not of This Earth expansion, mm -hmm. which is the one that we've been most quiet about. Um, and there's a bunch of different reasons for that, but the, the main reason we want to show it off is because we want to give people a chance to see what we've done with the gameplay of Not of This Earth, because that's where the right button are going through a real portal off planet to an unknown location to basically come in between this battle between not one but 
two alien races, plus the Nazi units that are trying to uh, control and take advantage of the alien races who naturally use Vril as their own energy. The, the aliens interact with Vril um, you know, genetically. So the Vril Meisters are trying to abuse that and bring the aliens back. Some of the, the Vril Meisters are trying to control them. Other ones are trying to experiment on them and use them to actually change themselves. And it's a very different style of gameplay because we were able to go really off the field with it. You know, so we've got kind of telepathic tendencies. We've got different fog of war. You're no longer in a bunker or a castle where there's doors. You're in a tunnel system with a kind of fog of war element. And it's far more risky to go off on your own and be a brave hero. And, you know, if you if you run off to distract a bunch of aliens to let the other three heroes get away, you're probably doomed. Um, so we've kind of held quite quietly in that one, but we're hoping to get a new gameplay video out before the edge of the end of the pledge manager on April 2nd so people can see it. But timeline-wise for Wrightbusters, it is all on time, I'm very happy to say. I have a feeling that I'm going... Well, first off, I'm going to blame you if I have to get a second, <laughs> get a second job or... <laughs> <laughs> or either quit my job to be able to play these games. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because people say, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're working for Mythic Games, so you must play games all day. And ironically, I've no, no qualms about saying that since I've joined a, a games publisher, I play less games now than I ever have before. But that is because I legitimately love my work uh, and I love what I do, and I spend so much time, you know, juggling balls and spinning plates and arranging meetings with people and, and getting to interact with gamers and that's uh, rewarding in its own sense i generally need to book a few days off when each of our games arrive so i can sit down and play them too so i completely yes. feel where you're coming from you should you should okay so we've talked about the three that are in production mm -hmm. and i know that you've got some other things kind of waiting in the wings so you want to okay. talk a little bit about that and then uh, we'll Absolutely. see where we go from there so yeah, we've, we've we teased at the Cannes uh, International Festival du Jour, so that's the the, the festival of games um, in the south of France. We teased in February this year that later this summer we'll actually have two new games launching. Uh, oh. The first, what was that, sorry, I, I'm just moaning over here, just <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just going to throw my wallet across the pond, and you guys take it. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to look after it for you. It's okay. We'll, we'll keep you all right. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the first game that we're bringing out is, is called Super Fantasy Brawl. Now, this is the one that we've talked about just a little bit. Um, it will be launching on Kickstarter this summer. And the Kickstarter will uh, allow backers to get access to um, some extra special things. But the premise of Super Fantasy Brawl is that it will be a retail-focused product. It's something that at the start of 2020, we'd love to, to deliver it to backers and bring it to retail at the same time time and it's going to be a product very much focused on organized play and the reason for that is super fantasy brawl is pretty much as it sounds it is an action competitive colorful beautiful really really enticing fantastic team builder where you're fighting and brawling in an arena hmm. so it's really what you'll be doing is you'll be playing basically a wizard and picking your favorite or most competitive, depending on your kind of preference, uh, fantasy characters and, and kind of stereotypes from all of fantasy. So if you want to have a pirate with a ninja, with a scout or a werewolf or a vampire or an orc barbarian, you just mash them together, stick them in the arena, go one on one with your opponent and brawl and um, the game is is very quick playing really we're kind of talking 30 to 45 minutes once you kind of got it down hmm. it's very 
uh, deterministic. There's no dice. It's all kind of card-driven. And, you, and the, what we've found through playtesting so far is the best player, nine times out of ten, will take the victory because it's very much about brawling, but it's also about uh, objective and controlling different areas of the battlefield and timing your cards and combos to try and ensure you can get the most victory points out of the knockout and the objective simultaneously. You're always trying to play a little ahead of your turns and plan ahead so that as the objectives are moving along what we kind of call the, the river of objectives basically you're scoring them at the highest point of kind of crowd anticipation as the crowd are kind of most ecstatic and the objective is worth either sort of one or two victory points whatever timing you want to go for it you get the most out of it so it's very uh, easy to pick up but quite a high skill ceiling and it's very colorful very bright and all the minis I'm not even sure exactly what the scale is, but the minis are um, going to be on like a 50 millimeter base, so quite large. And the minis are kind of a head and shoulders above where like a Shade Spire mini would be, for example, Warhammer Underworlds mini would be. So quite large, quite bulky, very heroic, lots of space for people who are into painting to get into as well. So that will be coming... Uh, this summer to Kickstarter, but mm-hmm. as I say, the Kickstarter will be basically just to get a kind of initial fan base and a bit of buzz around it and show what's coming really more than anything and give people the chance to pick up some really nice goodies. And then when it releases at retail, everything uh, gameplay-wise that was on the Kickstarter will be available at retail for people to get involved in uh, organized play kits, regular tournaments. And we hope that if we can get you know some support behind it, we'd love to have you know regional, national, uh, worldwide events. So this would be cool. something that... Yeah, we, we, we really embrace as, as a company. It'll become a cornerstone of our kind of retail products. That that sounds like a lot of fun. Organized play, I know a lot of people who would really get into that because that, a lot of the people that I game with, they're the real competitive types and they just can't yeah. stand, you know, knowing that somebody's got a slightly better character or, or <laughs> something better than what they have, so they've got to yep. get back into it. Um, what else? I think I saw somewhere a blip on the radar about this hell game. But if you can talk about it, great. If you can't, you know, I totally understand. I, I will tell you just just a little, um, just, a, just a smidge. Um, so Hell, spelled H-E-L, that's the Norse way. Hell, the last saga, is going to be a semi-cooperative board game. It will have minis, as you know, we, we do enjoy our minis, of course, um, and it will be very much focused on the year 999 AD, so the turn of the millennia, when basically the Christianization of the Scandinavian countries is in full swing. The, the Vikings and their Norse uh, beliefs are essentially being pushed out, mm-hmm. and you will be part of a group of survivors that basically go on the last saga, the, the voyage to try and leave your homeland and head to what will hopefully be you know, a Valhalla, a place to live out your year. And you'll be the last boat to go. You'll be following the the boats and groups that went before you. And when you arrive at this place, you will find that instead of Valhalla, you'll find Viking longships upturned, dug into the sand. You're going to find eternal day, but also eternal fog and unknown. You're going to be fighting for survival from the cold, from horrors, from evils. And each of the players will have their own group of survivors that you have to take care of but you must work together to keep the colony the group alive while still maintaining the motivations and the drives of your individual survivors so you're going to be kind of vying for control who's going to be the leader in any given round trying to take control of of the colony and decide what their priorities are and through the playtesting we've done so far we've found on average and we're quite quite happy about this it's pretty much where we want it to be on average one survivor dies per round 
Wow. So you may have two or three survivors to begin with, but it's quite unlikely that you'll have that many by the time it gets to the end of the game. Um, and yes, it's going to be beautiful, beautifully done. It's, it's actually being designed by David Ricotto. He uh, designed World of Smog for Simon. Um, and it's actually being uh, the art director for it, uh, leading it is his partner also from World of Smog, uh, a gentleman called Christoph Medora. And they both work for, for us now full time. And they're working on this together. And their vision mixed with the art direction of this game is just stunning. The, the initial pieces we've shown give you a sense of feeling of wild and unknown mm -hmm. and cold and danger but also kind of put you in that place of um, you know these heroes they're not heroes but these these survivors who are trying to uh, see out their lives in, in, in the, the best possible way they can and to fight tooth and nail to survive um, that's kind of yeah I don't want to go into too okay. much more detail than that <laughs> so that's just on the radar and yeah. not there's no uh, no set date for a campaign to start on that it will be a kickstarter um for, for sure and it will likely be um in just into the second half of this year okay we'll sort of say for now we'll keep an eye out for that Thank okay you. so um we've talked a lot about what mythic games is doing and all that kind of stuff but i kind of want to take a little bit of time before we wrap mm -hmm. up to find out a little bit about you Okay. Oh my, you want you want to punish the people that have managed to listen this far <laughs> well, with, with, with the story of me. <laughs> yes, just, a, a, okay, are, are you originally from the UK? Well, I am from Northern Ireland, um, which is, yeah, which is part of the UK. Okay. So uh, whether you call me Irish or British, you're, you're safe either way, just don't don't call me English. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm from the North Coast, so if you if you watch Game of Thrones and you see where the Greyjoys pull up in like season one or two and they pull yeah. up that little dock, that's where I'm from. <laughs> really? How yeah. awesome is that? Uh, the Game of Thrones premiere is April 14th and it's the day before my birthday I no am I think literally I have days off for my birthday and I'm <laughs> pretending they're for my birthday but they're really for the Game of Thrones uh, uh, launch I'm not going to lie to you good for you well this is going to be fun because this is a uh, a quick uh, set of rapid fire questions that I'm going to ask you yeah. and they are, there's no right or wrong answer it's just kind of like one or the other and okay. it's just kind of to feel you out for both your your geekiness and just your preference <laughs> and things now okay bring it some of this may be a little odd because they're primarily for American All right, audiences, okay. so we'll just go with it, okay? So sure. here we go. Sci-fi or fantasy? Fantasy. Okay. DC or Marvel? Marvel. Can't beat the Marvel Cinematic University says, oh, man. Oh, God. Just, yeah. Nope, that's it. Yep. There you go. There you go. See, that's what this is all about. You know, you can say what it is and a little bit of explanation, and you're good to sure, go. Sure, yeah. Um, Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh no! Star, Star Star Trek. When I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of Star Trek: Enterprise and Voyager at like six p.m. When I was like eight, nine, ten years old. Mm -hmm. Picard. My God, Janeway. Oh my God, my heart throbs. Seven of nine. Like really. And I was never a Star Wars kid. I didn't watch Star Wars until my mid twenties. I was born in eighty-seven. Uh -huh. Right. So I didn't. I, I missed the Star Wars boat initially. But what has brought me round to Star Wars are the games that surround it. Really? Uh, X-Wing, for example, uh, Star Wars Destiny, both from FFG, those have made me really warm to the X-Wing universe. And now I'm leaning more towards Star Wars. I've enjoyed the recent movies, Rogue One kind of withstanding. Um, <laughs> but then Star Trek Discovery is out on Netflix and it's freaking awesome. Yes, it um, is. And you get it for free. <laughs> well, you have to have Netflix, but I have to pay an extra amount on top of my Netflix to get Star Trek Discovery. So, what? Yeah. Oh my word. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm so glad you said that 
Star Trek is a big part of your life because I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And that's probably why I think that we would be fast friends. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we all learned our best sarcasm from Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yes. Some yes. of the lines. Oh, man. But yeah, I, so I, I would probably go Star Trek. Trek, I think, would just have it. Because Discovery is so good right now. It is. It is so good. And I just did a a radio bit on who we think the Red Angel might be. (gasps) Uh, Oh, oh, can we we talk about that? Sure. We've got time. Who do you think the Red Angel could be? I think it's Michael. You think it's... I think that's what most people do believe. I think that's kind of a... They're leading you that way, but it's not really going to be it. I think that that would be too easy for the writers. I am kind of, here's the outside chance, and then I'll tell you who I think it might be. Outside chance to kind of wrap everything up into, and I don't want to get into the whole timeline thing, because I've been beating that to death with a lot of the people that have been listening to me. An outside chance could be Picard. Oh, dude, that would be, well, because, yeah, because he's, uh, Patrick Stewart has been on like the record recently to say he's coming back and they're yes they're actually bringing a series to us next year oh you don't oh that would what a way oh i just got shivers like i actually got like <laughs> like hairs i'm wearing a long sleeve t-shirt but i actually got hairs standing on end that was really weird oh, what a great intro to that scenario or that to that that season that would yeah be. no but hold on picard picard would, would picard go to spock well to, it possibly um here's my other thought it could uh, be the future Spock from the original timeline. If and, and we're going to be talking timelines here. I'm thinking Spock, who is trying to fix that whole problem of yeah. Romulus being exploded and all yeah. that stuff from the movies and everything. Because, you know, Spock would be like carrying that guilt to his grave. <sighs> and the fact that his, <sighs> his planet was destroyed and his mother and all that kind of stuff. I ruled that out because they did that in the movie, right? The second Star Trek movie, right? Mm-hmm. Into Into Darkness, was it? Yes. Uh, where they, because they kind of did that already, I had ruled that one out. But it's not unfeasible. Yeah. So. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait for the, I can't wait for the season to wrap up. There's only a couple of episodes left, I think. Uh, tomorrow, actually today here in the U.S. is the season finale. And That's what I'm doing and, yeah, this and, evening. And we are, <laughs> yeah, we are recording um, on Thursday. Uh, the What is today? The 21st. 21st, yeah. yes. Okay. So, okay, let's go on to other stuff then. Um, <laughs> alien or Predator? Oh, man. Predator has the better lines, right? Predator has the, come on, do it. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's Predator got has Schwarzenegger in it. Come on. Yeah. But, but Alien wins it for yes. me. Yeah. It's the, if only for the, the beeps, you know, if only for the beep, 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 you know, just, <laughs> and for the, the scenes and the, the Ripley and the mech, you know, just the, the, the loader. Yeah. Alien 100%. And do you know what? Awaken Realms captured that alien feeling with Nemesis so well recently. Um, I really love what they did. I got to see that. Um, before it, it sort of hit Kickstarter, and even back then, before it was in its early de- when it was in its early development, it was still a pleasure to play. And um, that, yeah, Alien One Hundred Percent, I think for me takes it. All right. So uh, continuing on, and we're talking movie here: Excalibur or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Monty Python, Holy Grail, not even close. Monty <laughs> Python, I don't know if there's many things that be out Monty Python, to be honest. Yeah. The Dead, like even their TV show, the Dead Parrot sketch still makes me cry. Oh, um, yes. Like... Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, one of their uh, lesser known movies, it was not a Monty Python production, but it had almost the entire cast. Yellowbeard. 
I have not seen that. You have not seen that? Oh, I it has. You need to go see that. You need to find that and watch it. Consider on my list. Yes. it's a, It has a Cheech and Chong in it. What? Yeah. <laughs> that is a weird matchup. <laughs> yeah, you need to see it. You need to see it. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, go forward or backwards in time? What a good question. Um... Oh, single timeline or multiple timelines? Like, if I well, do, do, I get to come back. Y- y- yes. Let's say you okay, don't. So I, you I don't alter history. You get to return. Yeah, you don't alter history. Um, it would oh, be a man. totally different question if I said no. You pick one, and that's where you're at. That yeah, wouldn't it? That's a completely different question. Because so, what? I go forward. I see the lottery results. I go back, <laughs> and then I win the lottery, and I make all the board games forever. Yeah. Um, or I go back and I change something. I think I go forward, right? I, I'm very happy to say I don't think I need to go back and change anything. Not for me personally, for the greater scheme of the world, I don't think I would have the the gusto to do that. I'm not I... that bold a gentleman. So probably forward. I'll go forward and see where we are and see if I can bring something back that benefits me or everybody else. Um, maybe maybe. If, if I if I could go forward and find a pill that you can eat that gives you all your sustenance and everything you need for days, so you no longer have to eat food. Oh my gosh, that'll, that'll be swell. We must be like best friends without even knowing it, because to me, eating is a necessary evil. Um, no, no, <laughs> eating for me is a is, is a horrible, unavoidable weakness. Oh, <laughs> I wish I wish I could take something that just satisfied my hunger gave me all the, the minerals and fruit and vitamins i needed so i no longer went to mcdonald's at half 11 at oh, night to get a mcflurry see, mine is i don't want to take the time out of my activities to eat <laughs> <laughs> that, that also makes perfect sense i i do enjoy cooking i must admit but not for myself i love cooking for others in groups but for myself i find it mundane but when i'm cooking for other people i'm like oh yes i've got loads of ideas and we'll do it so i, I feel where you're, where you're coming from for okay. that okay all right um let's see i'm gonna go down the list here a little bit uh book or audiobook book uh, 100% I love um, audio podcasts and I'm, I I have a, like a Sonos speaker in my house I'm the kind of person that I'll listen to podcasts or music as I'm walking right up to my front door and as soon as I walk in my front door I'll switch it to my speaker so there's there's stuff playing all of the time hmm. but audiobook for some reason, I far prefer to read the words and get the image in my head. And when someone's reading to me, I don't quite get that same imagination spark as I do when someone's reading it to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go out on a limb here and think I know what the answer to this one is. Okay. Board game or role-playing game? Oh, man. I have had some tremendous experiences role-playing. I have had some incredible memories and, and stories that will be a part of my life forever. I used to do a lot of uh, DMing mm-hmm. um, and I, I have stories that are, are, to me and to our group, real. You know, there were things that right. happened and we retell them like they're, they're memories. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's got to be board games um, okay. because they, they're so multifaceted. You just get so much from them. From board game to board game, you can have a completely different experience. And I love abstracts. I love sitting in silence with a coffee or a whiskey with an opponent and playing an Onitama or uh, 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 any kind of just two-player Kadinka, a little game that's very abstract and straightforward. And I also love big, over-the-top, fun party games. I obviously love my miniature games. Board games are such a huge part of my life that... It, it, yeah, to, to say anything other than that would be a fib. <laughs> okay. Uh, going on to the uh, more nerdy side here, or the geeky side, depending. Hobbit or halfling? 
Oh, Hobbit, I think. Yeah. I've never read the Lord of the Rings books, I must admit. What? But what? the movies <laughs> came out when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. And they struck at that perfect time. Like, I... I talking about... Um, talking about hairs standing on end. I, I can't remember exactly what age I was, but when the first movie came out and you have the opening pro- prologue with Galadriel speaking mm-hmm. and you see the orc line hit the elves as they're all standing perfectly in formation and they all bring their glaives up in perfect unison to cut through that first wave of orcs hitting it. I remember moving to the edge of my seat at that point as a teenager and not moving from it. Uh, it, it was just so encapsulating. Um, so I think, yeah, the hobbits and, and the fantasy world will beat out the halflings for me. Unfortunately. Okay. For me, I'm, I've been a Tolkien fan forever. And mm-hmm. the fact that what I would probably call my favorite book of all time, books of all time, coming Mm -hmm. to the big screen and seeing all those things that I had made images of in my mind was just the same thing. It was that whole shiver down my spine, Mm -hmm. hair standing on end and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. So. Yeah, man. Like when it, oh, whenever uh, Gandalf is like, "Have you been dropping? Have you been eavesdropping?" <laughs> yes. It's like I have been dropping the eaves. Like, oh, <laughs> but just yes, a pinnacle yes. of. I, I just realized I was fourteen when the Fellowship of the Ring hit the cinemas. Oh man, it was totally a defining point in my nerddom. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. <laughs> okay, Gryffindor or Slytherin? Uh oh. Or neither, okay. neither Ravenclaw. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm a lion or a, or a snake. I think I'm more, uh, I'm more an eagle and more. I, I also like the house colors of Ravenclaw much more. I'm, I'm a blue guy. Anytime I play a board game, there's only one rule you need to be aware of, and that that is as plays blue. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, in terms of Mad Max, Gibson or Hardy? Um. I may make some enemies here, but I did not enjoy the Tom Hardy Mad Max at all. Wow. Really, really did not take to it whatsoever. So it's it's Mel, Mel all the way. Okay. All right. That's fine. I enjoy them all. I'm a huge Mad Max fan. I even have a post-apocalyptic Jeep that I've got it all. No. Yes, I do. I'll show, I'll send you a picture. Sometime. Whenever we do our inevitable uh, post-apocalyptic game, we'll have to make a mini out of your Jeep, oh, right? That would be so awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll send you a picture. I'll send you a picture. Uh, oh. James Bond, Connery or Craig? I mean, it's Connery, but again, it's it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna be evil. I'm gonna say it's it's Brosnan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> for me, Goldeneye was my first Bond, and oh boy, oh man, Sean Sean Bean and uh, and Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, you know, I did like Pier- James, I no, did me. like Pierce Brosnan. I'm I think Craig is killing it as Bond. I mean, he's really good. I love them all. I, I'm just a, an Uber fan. I don't care. Dan, yeah. Just give me Daniel more. Craig's had a hard story to tell. He's had a hard transitional yeah. period for Bond to get through where, you know, Sean Connery benefited from the days of jetpacks, you know, mm-hmm. when, you know, I'm walking into a room and being like, you know, Mish Money Penny was, was <laughs> all you needed to do to make everyone, you know, hot with, with, with sensations. And um, where Daniel Craig's having to suffer through that uh, rebirth of Bond and that technology of Bond with a gadget it's not such a big thing anymore because everybody has them so instead they've delved into like his history and the roots of bond and i think he's done a great job of it don't get me wrong i i, I love skyfall i loved uh casino royale quantum of solace didn't take on my fancy quite as much no not that one um, but he's done a good job you know I, I i can't knock him okay uh die hard movie christmas movie or not 100 percent 
Absolutely, Christmas movie. I mean, <laughs> thank you. Come out, you know, come out for the holidays. Uh, have a few drinks, have a few laughs. You know, um, <laughs> I misquoted that terribly, but yeah, at one hundred percent Christmas movie. Not my favorite Christmas movie. I think Home Alone is my favorite Christmas yeah. movie, but it's up there. Okay, all right, we're gonna plow through some here. I'm just gonna <laughs> throw them right at okay, you. Okay, fast. Vampires or werewolves? Vampires. Okay. Um, this may be a little U.S. centric. Soda or pop? What's the difference? I don't okay, understand. Okay. <laughs> Soda pop, not the same thing. No, depending on where you're at in the U.S., some people call it soda. Some people call it pop. Some people call it, in general, Coke, whether it's Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, or 7-Up. It's well, those Coke. people are just wrong, let me tell you right now. If you're listening and you call Fanta or Sprite or whatever Coke, that's not correct. That's the, that's that's <laughs> primarily the southern states. But here, a lot of people, if you're from the north, you might say pop. If you're from other parts, you might say soda. So, so I, I wanted I to throw that say, in. I wouldn't say either, but I like pop because the bubbles pop, right? And that's fun, right? They're popping, it's popping. It's soda, no, I could, soda sounds like soda water or okay. soda stream where it's like all watery and not very much. Um, yeah, pop. Okay. Um, beer or wine? Oh, beer, but whiskey above all. I'm not a wine drinker yet. I haven't developed that palate yet. I'm not I'm not cultured enough. That's Leo. Leo Leo's the wine drinker and the whiskey drinker. Okay. Um, PC or console in terms of your gaming? I'm a, it's hard to answer that one quickly because I'm a huge PC gamer. Okay. Uh, like I've always been, that's actually where my gaming roots started was in competitive PC gaming, organizing esports events back in the early noughties whenever Call of Duty 1 on PC or, or Counter-Strike 1.5 were like the pinnacles of, of esports. Um, so yeah, P- PC is, is right in my heart of, of love and always will be. Okay. Thick or thin crust pizza? No, that's where you broke me, Dean. Sorry, not choosing both pizza. All pizza is good pizza. <laughs> okay. There's no such thing as I'm you don't with, choose any one pizza I'm over good, another. Pizza. I'm good with that, too. I'm good <laughs> with that, too. Pirates or ninjas? Oh, sugar. Uh, <laughs> flipping heck. Because you say pirates now, people think pirates of the Caribbean. You say ninjas, and where do people go these days? Like Ninja Warrior? Is that where you go to a ninja in the head? Uh, um probably pirates right but then i love anime i mean, i love mm-hmm. uh naruto is something a big a big part of my anime love um no ninjas we're going ninjas ninjas is the answer okay all right um i've got a couple more and i'm gonna probably break you again here oh, this, oh, is, no. this is going uh, this is going sci-fi geek okay. uss enterprise or millennium falcon oh you're just evil i mean the attractive thing of the millennium falcon is you can pilot it with like two people right yeah whereas the enterprise you need a whole crew really although you know you have a bridge and you're and scotty and you're fine but i'm probably going falcon just because you know who wants to deal with the hr of a whole crew like you never get to see that on star trek but there's bound to be a bunch of like political and hr issues oh my gosh who's doing the payroll you know, who's who's covering the life insurance, you know, for the red shirt? Someone's accounting all that stuff. And I don't want to have to deal with that when I'm going boldly going, you know, never heard of that. <laughs> that explanation for a preference. Never, ever. I'm going, I'm going Falcon. <laughs> OK. All right. Um, and my last one, I always like to throw out um, uh, tiger or shark. Tiger. Tiger. I got a soft spot for for kitties. I won't lie. All right, I like well, I like my lions. I like my tigers. I, I like my panthers. I almost asked dogs or cats. And, and yeah, it's a tough one, right? You don't because you, God, you offend anybody who either answer. Right. I, I was brought up with cats, mm-hmm. uh, so I was. So I I think it's it's whatever you spend the most time with, isn't it? Really young. And don't get me wrong, I'm fully aware that cats do not need humans to survive, and they <laughs> no, have no they problem making us aware of that. But for the small 
two minutes of each day that they show you affection they're just lovely yes they do um my daughter has a cat but i'm a dog guy because dogs <laughs> dogs uh, you know they have they need people they want people and cats you know they just need servants i the right you're, you're so you're so right yeah <laughs> as long as your dog is a dog and it's not uh, a rat pretending to be a dog because uh-huh. right? there are some dogs that when they bark they don't bark they yip and when they yip they the all four legs leave the ground they bounce <laughs> that's not a dog all right i want labradors i want alsatians you yes. know i want huskies that's what i want yes 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 <laughs> i want a dog <laughs> i've um you call them alsatians i call them german, german shepherds. shepherds i've yeah, got yeah. three of them so oh wow yeah wonderful dogs you must do a lot of bath time and a lot of grooming um yes and a lot of yard cleanup Oh, my word, I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I really want to thank you, this has been a wonderful discussion about everything that uh, Mythic Games has got coming, and then we're having some fun here at the end. I really want to thank you for joining me here on the Grognard podcast, and uh, I hope to get to see you and talk to you again in the future. And uh, if you do have anything new, feel free to drop me a line, and maybe we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. This was a great time, Dean. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a a real, real pleasure. And yeah, absolutely. We will definitely uh, be chatting again and we'll see you. We'll be at at Origins this year, though I don't know if I'm going to be making the trip myself. Um, And we'll also definitely be at Gen Con. So we'll be stateside again. All right. Well, thank you very much. And for the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken saying goodbye and game on.